Dadlaw Project is here to help, educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. This is the Dadbod Project. The Dadbod Project. The Dad Bob Project podcast, we're with Catherine Belford. Catherine is a money coach, and as distinct from, I guess, and you might uh, clarify this with me, Catherine, as distinct from financial planning, your role really is to, uh, I guess, look at the beliefs and conversations around money and how that affects people's wealth. Is that right? It is, yeah, definitely. It's um, We all have these money patterns and behaviours, which we've basically inherited from our parents, and it's around how, you know, I guess we act around money, how we feel about money and, you know, how it actually affects our day-to-day lives as well. So how much do you earn a year? No, don't answer that. Don't answer that, right? Because I don't, but I, the, re, and I, the reason I ask that is as follows, because we've never met, right? So there's a number of questions that I sh- shouldn't be able to ask you and that's one of them. But that's a question that we can't even have with our close friends, with a lot of our family. Why is that? Yeah, it's a very taboo subject, money. Um, people really shy away from talking about money and especially talking about how much they earn. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess, from, you know, over the years, our parents probably never really talked about money, what we saw growing up. People, you know, often I ask always when I do money coaching, you know, what was it like growing up in your family? Like what were the money conversations that were had? And so many people say that they don't rem- really remember what happened around money within their families and also that money wasn't really talked about. So we probably never even knew what our parents earned either. Yeah. So why is, why is that? Like why is money scary to talk about? Why is it on that list of things um, from religion to whatever else, you know? Yeah, we can, we can hold a lot of fear around money, a lot of anxiety around money. Um, you know, we just don't really like to talk about it. And I think in some ways there's what I call like the tall poppy syndrome. People don't like to say, well, I earn this amount of money, especially if someone earns a lot less. Like I know in my career over the years, like I've actually earned a lot more money than some of my friends as well. But it's not something we really share, even though you know from the roles that we have, um, you know, uh, that we, we do earn good money as well. So, you know, it's funny, though, you can really look up what people earn. Like if you think about a teacher, you can go online, you can have a look. Well, what's the average income for a teacher? What's the average income for a nurse as well? So you can actually get a good idea of what, you know, people are earning. We just don't like to talk about it. Mm, Interesting. Right. Now, a a lot of the demographic that's watching this uh, or listening to this, obviously, are are dads and certainly not exclusively dads and certainly not exclusively blokes that are in those 20s, 30s, 40s, what we might call uh, um, the marriage or heading into the marriage demographic of life, but a lot of them are. When you see divorce statistics or you see any of those surveys, money as a reason for divorce is always at or near the top. How come? Yeah, because, as again, people don't talk about their money. So generally we don't talk openly about our money fears, our anxieties around money, the issues we have around money. I was, interestingly, have you ever heard of the term financial infidelity? No. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's actually really common. So we talk about infidelity as being one of the main reasons that people divorce. 
but you know not just around you know the relationship we have with money but also financial infidelity so we can often see this where people hide bank accounts they might not be open around um, you know what they're spending uh, they might hide purchases. So I, I know with COVID in our household, it's like, okay, who's got packages delivered at the door every five seconds? And I'm sure yes. so many people have seen that as well. So, you know, and two, as I said earlier, like we've all grown up with these inherited patterns and behaviours that we have. But when we don't understand each other and when we don't take the time to actually talk about our fears and anxieties and any money issues or any just money in general, then, you know, we're really hiding behind, you know, hiding from ourselves, really. So um, do you mind if I go through the money archetypes with you that we please, have and that, please. that I talk about? I think it's really interesting and you'll probably find that, you know, when I talk through these, and especially the listeners, they'll be like, oh, my God, I so relate to that. Or, you know, my partner relates to that or a friend relates to that. And there's actually eight money archetypes. And they're the innocent victim, warrior, martyr, fool, creator, artist, tyrant and magician. So to give you a big, a quick overview, the innocent, I, you know, there is a lot of innocent, especially with women, where they tend to put their head in the sand around money. It's like, I don't want to deal with it. And I had a client last night and we're shifting and, she, you know, her and her husband never talked about money because it would just end up in a fight. And the work we've done together means, you know, she they actually have an open conversation around money. They can now communicate around money and it's really taking your head out of the sand and actually paying attention. The victim, the victim, we tend to, you know, we blame our financial situation on external factors or we might blame our situation on others. So it could be a parent, for instance. And often the victims in their life have been abused, betrayed or have suffered great loss as well. So they tend to live in the past as well. So they're not really living in today and they're not really focusing on the future either. Now, the warrior, the warrior is generally really focused and goal oriented. And we really want a strong warrior within each of us. And some of us have that. And some of us have, you know, inherited that pattern behavior as well, or actually just grown to develop that pattern and behavior over time as well. But for a lot of us, we don't necessarily have a strong warrior. Now, the martyr, and I know some people really um, understand this, if they put everyone ahead of their own needs. So especially, you know, if you've got, you know, a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad that feels like they're doing everything for everybody else, but then they're not filling up their own cup. They're not doing what they want for them and they're often self-sacrificing as well. And then we have the fool, and the fool is, you know, the person that takes the financial shortcuts, uh, they're relatively fearless and generally can be quite impulsive around decisions. And it's interesting, like when you have a fool and a warrior, and I can tell you my husband and I, I'm the warrior, he's the fool. So he comes to me and he's like, okay, can we buy this? Or, you know, what's your thoughts on this? And this has actually come a long way because he's used to just making a decision, bang, doing it and not thinking about the future and actually what, you know, what that decision actually means um, for us. And then we've got the creator artist and they're often, you know, creative, spiritual, um, on their artistic path as well. And they find money and the material world really difficult to navigate. 
too. But we also want to make sure that we do have creator artists because, you know, like in life, we don't want to forget what's our vision. Like, what are we actually working towards? What's the purpose? Like, if we are earning all this money, for instance, what are we doing with it? Like, what's it actually for? So the creator artist is really good to have within us. Um, a, a lot of clients I see come up with like the love-hate relationship with money. It's like I love it when it's there, but I hate it when it's not as well. And that's quite common. Um, the tyrant. And the tyrant generally uses money to manipulate other people. And the tyrant can come up, you know, especially when we may feel resentful around others or when we feel out of control in other areas of our life, we might then utilise the tyrant. And funnily enough, when you think about your life, you know, money is often just the symptom. So there's generally a lot more going on in our life, but money can be a way of control as well, especially within a relationship within a couple. You'll tend to find that one um, person in a relationship generally manages and runs with their financial decisions and how um, money is spent within a family. And then you've got the magician. And the magician is ideally who we want to be or where we want to get to. And they just know how to, you know, transform, manifest financial reality, uh, just really understanding their own power and willing to claim it as well. So they're also ones that, you know, they acknowledge their past and then they move forward. So they're the eight archetype money archetypes that I actually work with. And once you understand these archetypes, you can really see how it can play out in couples especially when one's a high, a high, you know, potentially like a high innocent and, you know, you've got a tyrant, you know, and they can, you know, very much the innocent put their head in the sand and the tyrant just takes over. It's like, I'm going to run with this. So, you know, you do what I say sort of thing. So, mm. yeah. So how does that, do, can you pick yourself in there? Well, it's, yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. And uh, um so we want to aim to be a money magician is probably the big punchline there. A couple of interesting ones there around, um, probably the biggest one is around the why. You know, what's this for? What what are we, you know, what's the, which we discussed that and some of the other things we're talking about in terms of our diet, training, mental health and those sorts of issues for blokes. But, you know, the why is an interesting one and a conversation unto itself. I don't know whether this is a question that is even answerable. Is there a single issue or mistake that blokes or families might be making that is most common in your work? Um, I don't know if it's most common, but I think a few things is that, you know, not not creating a space to hold a conversation around money, I think is a big thing. So you, you know, like often, um, have you heard the term around having a date night? So date night to discuss, you know, what are we doing? What's our goals and so forth? Well, money should be a big part of that date night as well. Yeah. And being able to share, well, you know, what do we, how are we tracking? You know, what's going on in life? Are we moving forward towards our goals? And, you know, what's actually holding us back? Like someone might have a fear um, or they might have an issue around, you know, what they're working towards. I use um, I, what I call the healthy communication framework and it's being able to not just go blame someone and not blame the other person because this is quite common where we do point fingers and go, well, you did this or you did that. And it's actually removing that out of the context and going, well, you know, would you mind us, you know, sitting down, having a chat 
let's make a time so we can actually talk through a few things. And then being able to talk about what you've observed yourself, what you've experienced, uh, what fears there are and what your needs are. So it's not saying, well, you did this or you did that. It's saying, well, this is how I feel and this is what my needs are. And, you know, what about we look to work through this by doing, you know, ABC. So then the other person doesn't feel defensive. They don't feel like they're criticised and that, you know, you can actually have an open conversation as well and, you know, make an agreement of, you know, whatever it is that's coming up for both of you. You sound more like a marriage counsellor than a money coach in that instance, <laughs> but, but it probably highlights the big thing in, you know, marriages and money comes back to any other issue in a marriage, which is about communication and openness and owning it and designating a time and space to have conversations regardless of how challenging you feel those conversations might be. Kids is a big one. And I th personally, I think about this in terms of my own um, conversations and behaviours around money with my children and how that differs from my own parents. And we'll probably talk about parents again in a minute. Are there any sort of, whether it's tips, tricks or whatever, in terms of the conversations you should or shouldn't be having with your own children around money, um, irrespective of their age? Yeah, I think it's just being aware of how you speak about money. So like I said, if you hide and don't talk about money, then kids see that. And as they grow up, they start to develop the similar patterns and behaviours that you have. So if you think about your own relationship with money and how you act and behave when it comes to money, then what you're doing shows your children. So you know, if you think about how you want your child to act and behave around money, let's say you want them to be really responsible. Well, it's actually talking about money and how to be responsible with money and what that might mean. So if you use the analogy, money doesn't grow on trees all the time. Well, a child's going to think when they grow up, well, you know, I'll never have enough money or, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. So how am I ever going to get ahead in life? Whereas we don't want a child to feel like that. We want them to feel that they can create abundance and wealth in their future. So, and also too, you know, teaching them about money. I think, I think it's a lot harder today than it probably was even in, you know, my parents' era because, you know, back then we had coins, we had cash, we could feel it. You know, it was something that, you know, you may have taken $2 from your parents' purse and then go go down the shop and then you know what you get for two dollars when you go to the, buy your lollies whereas now we don't deal in cash we deal in a card so what your child sees is tap and go tap and go tap and go and they actually never visually see money so what we want to do is show them well okay how does money actually work and you know you might show them with cash but i think also to the older a child gets uh, one of my friends is using uh, a system called Spriggy and I've got a couple of clients using it as well. And it's an app where children do, you know, you might ask them to do certain chores and then you as a parent confirm that, you know, they've done that chore and then money gets allocated to their bank account and they have a card. So, for instance, if you go to the shops and your child's like, well, I want that Lego and you're like, okay, well, you can have that Lego, you've got this amount in your little Spriggy account, do you value it that much that you want to spend your money on that? And interestingly, last night, the clients I was working with, she said her son had $60. He'd sold some of his toys to get $60 together and he wanted right. this, le this Lego. 
And afterwards, he's like, I don't want it anymore. Can you take it back? And she said, well, no, actually, we can't. You know, you've purchased that. You made that decision. So you have to accept it. And this, this child's only six years old. So, mm. you know, he's had to learn a hard lesson around, well, buyer's remorse. It's like, well, I want, you know, I, I think I want this, but do I actually really want this? Yeah. Yeah, well, better to do that than when he's 22 and does it with a jet ski, I suppose. So they're good lessons to learn. So basically, if you reckon if I've, got any, if I've got any chance of getting my kids to clean up the Connect 4 off the floor here in front of me, I've got to get the Spriggy app. And uh, each time they tidy their room, then they can get something. It's interesting, you touch on our parents, though, and, and those conversations and whether that's become more difficult to have the conversations with our own children. And I reflect on that a lot, and I've even had conversations with mates. And, I, you know, the, I, the difference or maybe the distinction between advice that we might consider wrong or that was just even... Perhaps the, that advice was just dated because times were very different a generation ago, and gee whiz, they were different two generations ago when they learnt their own lessons. So yeah, so it's I guess you know the the, the question is reflecting on our own parents and how we uh, you know sit down and think about the lessons they taught us and what we might need to unlearn. And I'm guessing that's a part of your work, right? It is, yeah, because we inherit a lot of these patterns and behaviours from our parents or even our grandparents, anyone that's, you know, was a stable or constant in our life, you know, there's some really good patterns and behaviours that we do pick up. We want to really honour those patterns and behaviours. But there's also ones that are quite challenging for us and that could be, you know, not liking conflict, not liking um, feeling anxiety around money, living for today there's so many uh, different you know characteristics and traits and patterns that we can have but we often don't understand them because a lot of them can be subconscious as well so we just go through our day-to-day life and don't even realize but when you actually dig deep into them and then you start to understand it it's like oh wow okay and oh that's you know my mum was like that or my dad was like that uh, especially when it comes to money. And then you're like, oh, wow, I've really taken on those patterns and characteristics. And sometimes, depending on our parents, we can really push away from them as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, we, yeah, we just don't, we're like, okay, I do not want to be like my mum. Like, how often have probably all of us said, oh, I don't want to be like my mother when I grow up, or I don't want to be like my dad when I grow up <laughs> as well. Like, that, yeah. that comes up quite a bit as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not our parents' fault either. Like a parent only does what they know, you know, but it's also as we become adults, it's up to us to take on that responsibility and to actually work on, well, what do we need to shift? Are there patterns and behaviours that are, say, self-sabotaging us for moving forward? Um, as a financial planner as well, I often, you know, I can build the best plan in place for a client but if there's money patterns and behaviours holding them back, they could self-sabotage that plan. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, well, that was a waste. We're back to, you know, square one now. So it's like, what do we need to do to move forward? What do you need to shift? So it's, um, yeah, it's very interesting the things that come up. Every client or every person is different around money. We all grew up differently around money. So it's just really taking the time to understand those patterns and behaviours and 
how do we shift them as well so we can, you know, gain more control, we can be wiser, make really sound financial decisions. And I always say to clients, it's about becoming conscious. You know, we want to be conscious around our money. If we're not and we put our head in the sand, then we'll just keep doing what we're doing. The big, I reckon the big punchline here that sticks out, and which is, you know, like you say, there's a lot of stuff that's unconscious that we're doing and there's a lot of stuff that we've been taught that was, like I said, fairly dated. I think about my own. My own grandmother couldn't afford shoes when she left school, right? So we're in grade four, right? So how I can't possibly be angry at those lessons because they're just, you know, it was just another planet. But the big thing that comes across with a lot of the work we do with the Dead Bod Project is around conversations and is around hard conversations. And we did an episode with a guy called Trip Lanier, who's a men's coach, and it was one or two episodes ago. And he was saying that is the single challenge, most challenging thing for blokes these days is to have that tough conversation. That's their, that's our new frontier. And money, quite clearly from the conversation we've had today, is one of those. So that's probably the first thing, whether it be in a marriage or otherwise, is to actually be prepared to have those hard conversations. Is there any, in the interest of, um, I guess, you know, we love our short, punchy uh, content on the Dad Bod Project, Catherine, is there any, you know, one or two tips, whether it's around managing finances, financial planning conversations for our guys to take away with us today? I my, Look, my biggest thing is pay yourself first. It is the one line sure. I say to people all the time. You know, we often will spend, spend, spend and then save maybe what's left over. It's actually, look, pay yourself first. Have you heard of The Richest Man in Babylon book? Yes, we have, and I've heard the concept, but I'd love it if you could really elaborate on what pay yourself first means because I reckon that certainly the first time I heard that when, it, you know, um, looking at that content, I didn't know what that meant. It took me a while to get for the penny to drop on what pay yourself first means. Yeah, so it's actually putting money aside for yourself first, and that could be, you know, in a savings account, it could be investing that money or even, you know, more contributions to super. It's actually just putting aside money for yourself and for your future rather than spending everything that we get. Because a lot of times we can move into, you know, just spending what's in our bank account but not actually being conscious around where that money's going. But if we actually put aside money first, so let's say you, uh, uh, you know, get paid every week, put 10% aside and that's not to spend and utilise it how you wish to. And another thing I always think is, what I set up for a lot of clients is automation. Automate as much as you can around your finances. It's like, okay, this is the amount I've got to spend each week. This is the amount I've got set aside for bills. This is the amount I've got set aside for savings. Automate what you can because if you do that, it means you'll grow wealth without even realising it. And the other last thing I'll point out is a lot of people think you need to be rich to invest. You don't. You can. There's a lot of apps out there now. You can start investing with, you know, basically a minimum amount of money, but don't wait to think that you have to, you know, wait till you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to start an investment. There are three. Look, you, you, I think you nailed it there, Catherine. Pay yourself first, automation, and don't think you have to be rich to invest are three good takeaways. I guess it does like, and again, probably a lot of the other content we talk about on these platforms, it does require a bit of effort and energy because it's easier not to do those things. So it's just like it's easier not to go for a run when you wake up, but it's part of that. those things that are just really important and your future self will thank you. 
If anyone wants to reach out to you, it's Focused Wealth. Yes, it is. Yep. All right. So Catherine Belford at Focused Wealth, Money Coach. Thank you for joining us on the Dad Bob Project podcast. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Ralph. 